Since I'm all alone again, does anybody care? This planet's empty, I see no signs of life. Please don't tell me that the human race did not survive. There are no people in the future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Hey everybody, everybody, welcome, welcome. Yes, it is Friday, July 14th, 2023. Welcome to Raging Chicken's Friday Politics Roundup. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Each week we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. You can help support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress for all the details. You can also help out the show right now by heading over to our YouTube pit channel. If you're not there already, smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. And if you're one of our awesome podcast listeners, make sure to leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen on. And leave a comment to let other folks know why you like the show. Little things like this help other people find the show. Support independent based broadcasting. How about that? Isn't that cool how that works? And yes, indeed, we cannot let Paul Martino and Moms for Liberty and their oligarch friends buy our schools and push their extremist politics in our community. Raging Chicken has teamed up with Levelfield to launch a truly community-rooted pack to invest in organizing, supporting local and statewide progressive candidates, and unmasking the toxic organizations injecting our communities with right-wing extremism. We're putting small-dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money, and you can get more information and drop your donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. And a uh, little bit of an announcement for all of our patrons. Um, I mentioned this before. I was going to try to get this done before we went on vacation, um, but did not. Um, but uh, I've talked to some additional people now, and I think we're in a good space. So I'm going to be putting something in the Patreon um, for, for our patrons um, to be part of a Zoom uh, meeting um, to talk about um, strategies for utilizing um, this pack money. So there you go. Community-based decision-making, too, as well. How about that? Well, on this week's show, um, I'll admit it, I'm a bit of a scattershot um, today. Um, You know, this is kind of part of the, I don't know, part of the deal for summer, I guess, you know, uh, what happens. A lot of stuff happens this week, of course. Um, Climate chaos um, is just surging like nuts. We saw the flooding in Vermont. We've seen extreme heat in the southwest um, that is breaking all sorts of records. Um, And... You know, torrential downpour. We saw um, some loss of life in the Hudson Valley um, as record frights once in a thousand year floods. You know, I hear this like every couple of years now. Um, and, uh, but this is not just here, right? Um, if you've seen the images coming out of China, the um, also uh, being affected by torrential downpours was unprecedented flooding, knocking out roads, like swamping entire towns. Um, it, you know, it's, this is getting. 2023 is quickly shaping up. The summer of 2023 is quickly shaping up to be a uh, stark uh, preview, I guess, of what's to come. And um, it's all the more reason to be urgent about this. 
Um, anyways, uh, also this just happening, student loan forgiveness. Um, yep. Well, Biden's back on it. We got it now. We've got about the cancels a cancellation of about eight, uh, thirty-nine billion dollars in student debt um, for about eight hundred thousand borrowers. Um, now, there's some caveats to that, and there's the way that's going to happen is a you know a, a little bit more uh, complex than we would have liked um, in terms of long-term stuff. But it is good to see them coming back at this. Um, my guess is that we're going to see some additional challenges, but we'll get into that. Um, I, we're going to see some more things like this. You know, I start thinking about like, what are some of the little things that we could actually do to like to have an impact on the climate, right? I mean, that we have actually control of in our hands, not something that we have to wait for um, like national action or global action, right? Um, things that we can actually have an impact locally. And it got me thinking, there was this article in New York Times about this um, about this researcher who's come up with um, this paint, right? Um, and we've known for a while, for example, that painting the roof of buildings white um, is helps cool the building and reflect a lot of that, um, like a lot of the sun and the heat back into space. Well, there's this like ultra white paint now um, that they're designing specifically to cool buildings. And it's pretty remarkable. And, you know, I said, think about like, what are things that if we actually have, for example, we were to change our school boards, right? We're, and to kind of start lobbying our um, schools, right? And our municipalities um, do this. We could do certain things like this, right? Paint the, the roofs of buildings white and to have a dramatic impact, not only on the climate impact, but also on the cooling costs, right? Because part, part of the problem is, is that when it gets super hot, the air conditioning goes up, we burn more energy and it's just a vicious cycle. Well, this is kind of one of these ways to stop. So I want to just talk a little about that today. Um, we saw Iowa Republicans sharply moving, um, moving to sharply limit abortion. Um, this again is the part of that march toward uh, Christian nationalism that we've been seeing nationwide. Um, interesting report about um, there's been this focus. I've seen this in multiple locations about this uh, lake in Canada um, that research has been taking out these, uh, you know, kind of cores of the uh, kind of soil samples taking, I forget what they're calling them now, I'm just spacing it. But you're basically able to see the striations of um, sediment and things like this happening over, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. Well, I've taken out of this and we actually kind of can see now um, a geologic layer um, that is um, embedded with the impacts of humanity, right? And so we've been you know, we've been talking, we've used this term on the on the show quite a bit. Um, we're kind of especially talking about um, the climate, but the Anthropocene um, is this been long kind of debated is are we in this kind of new geologic moment, right? Um, and this lake in Canada, they do this research, say, well, this is kind of clear evidence that we have actually shifted into a new um, geologic moment um, that is dominated by. Um, humanity uh what else we got today what else we got today um some cool stuff coming out of wisconsin um maybe we'll get into that um if you've been following any of the reporting that's been coming out of uh the bucks county beacon um that you know the stuff of what's happening what happened at the moms for liberty con um conference or summit uh, the joyful warriors summit is um is still generating news. Um, probably some of the biggest news that has come out um, from there, from thanks to the reporting of the Bucks County Beacon, 
Bucks County Beacon got their hands on some leaked audio of Jordan Adams's uh, closed session um, at the Moms for Liberty conference. Now, Jordan Adams, of course, is the head of Vermilion Education that's linked to Hillsdale College that's pushing for a Christian nationalist curriculum. Um, and the first ever public school client is the Penridge School District. And uh, he gave a presentation down at the Moms for Liberty um, summit that was uh, going on. What do you do? What to do in the first hundred days? Well, um, and if you read the transcript of that audio from that closed session, um, he basically describes what Hillsdale College and Vermilion Education did in the Penridge School District, and now they're kind of putting together as an agenda, um, a strategy um, to take over public schools, um, you know, across the state and country. So we'll get into that a little bit. We'll talk a little bit about um, Ramsey. That was big news, big news this week. Um, great reporting. My wife uh, showed this news. Great. This is a really cool article that was, um, uh, oops, it's actually, but it was a uh, kind of new article. It's called uh, Man the Hunter, Myth of Man the Hunter, Women's Contribution to the, um, after, I can't see this. Why am I not able to see this? Um, uh, but ethnographic context, really interesting um, report on article, basically uh, academic research is that looking at um, taking apart basically this, uh, the myth of kind of man the hunter in terms of thinking about human civilization. So it's just pretty, um, pretty kind of remarkable stuff. Although my browser right now is not cooperating and allowing me to see this article. So I'm going to see if I can get around that. Um, talk a little about it. Really cool stuff being published. Um, Pennsylvania still doesn't have a budget. Um, I think we're going to wait probably till next week to really get into the PA budget stuff. Um, what else we got? Um, crazy stuff happening in the developments of AI. Um, this is just kind of one of these interesting ones. It's not like, okay, AI is going to take over and conquer the world, but it's been able to, um, the help of, you know, these researchers who focus on these kind of 5,000 year old kind of, um, um, tablets right are is able to translate some of them um because uh you know it's really painstaking labor and work so that's kind of interesting um but whatever um lots of stuff coming up lots of stuff coming up. so we'll we'll see what we can get into today um get into today and then we're gonna kind of set our feet and get ready for next week um yeah so listen for more pa progressive talk tune to the rick smith show's live stream at 9 p.m eastern on his youtube channel twitter or facebook subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcast head on over to ricksmithshow.com for the latest across all those platforms you also got to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast, the amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast, Rock the House, and they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus, that's at the Night Caucus on Twitter, and subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you haven't heard, The Signal is a new podcast from the Bucks County Beacon. The Signal is hosted by the Beacon's editor-in-chief, Cyril Michaleko, and produced by yours truly. Yep. Twice a month, The Signal will shine a light on the right-wing extremist currents streaming through Bucks County and beyond. Cyril invites guests who can provide insight, analysis, and organizing solutions so that we can steer the community towards calmer, saner, progressive roots. Um, check them out at thebuckscountybeacon.podbean.com or pick that podcast up wherever you get your podcast. And if you have not checked out this past week's drop, right, um, you got to do it. I teased this a little bit on Monday's show, um, but we got it's actually a special two-part 
um, episode of The Signal. The first part, we've got uh, Olivia Little from uh, Media Matters talking about, uh, she was at the Monster Liberty Summit and talking about um, what are her insider view of what happened at the Monster Liberty um, um, Summit and uh, what happened in Jordan Adams' session. Um, that was fascinating. Um, and the part two of that is with uh, with uh, Dina Lagerman um, from Deanna Lagerman from um, uh, the Central Buck School District. She's been she's a parent in the district. She ran for school board there before. She's been an outspoken critic at kind of naming um, you know the, the assault that the school board is under. Um, so she was part two of that. It was a great, fantastic episode of The Signal. Do check that out. Uh, again, buckscountybeacon.podbean.com, wherever you get your podcast. And if you're looking, you just go to buckscountybeacon.com and you can click on the podcast there if you want to see it directly from your browser. For all you gamers out there, the Game In is a Quickertown-based black family-owned gaming store. Friends of the show, and they've got everything for Retro N64s, the latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops. Right, you got to check them out on their Facebook page and follow them on Twitter at, at the Game In. That's with two N's. Got a question about a game? Looking for something hard to get? Shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. A special shout out goes to Jonathan Mann who wrote our intro song. There are no people in the future. Check out all his great stuff and follow him on his YouTube page. Um, and check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at Saga Day Man. Again, two N's at Saga Day Man on Twitter. We've got a great show coming up this Monday on Out the Coop Live. Um, this is this Monday, July 17th at 7 p.m. I welcome Alyssa Bowen back to the show. Alyssa is a senior researcher and managing editor of the progressive watchdog group True North Research. She's been on the show before, um, documenting following the money train, um, following the money train through uh, 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 the dark money that is undermining our democracy, that it's undermining elections, that's undermining our school boards, and so on. So she's been on it quite a bit. We've talked about Moms for Liberty. We've talked about um, uh, a whole bunch of dark money stuff, right? So she's phenomenal. Um, I know that people who listen to this show love when she's on. Well, she's coming back on with a great piece. So we'll be talking about her recent article in Truth Out. That's called A January 6 Moms Group Funded by Big Lie Donors is Stoking Voter Suppression. And I'll give you the spoiler right up front. It's not Moms for Liberty we're talking about. Nope, this is another Moms group, quote unquote. The right-wing extremist group Moms for America has been flying under the radar as it works to undermine our rights. They're also funded by these billionaires. They're also kind of, uh, you know, pushing election denialism and election suppression or voter suppression. Um, Got to tune in for this one. It's a great, going to be a great show. Again, Alyssa Bowen for Tree North Research on this Monday. And look, everybody, if you want progressive future, we need progressive media. Support Pull No Punches homegrown progressive media today. Become a patron of Raging Chicken for as little as five bucks a month. Just head on over to patreon.com slash Press, And we're here for the fight and we need you. Become a patron for the price of a good beer once a month. Help keep the media and the movement and the media. Become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Go to patreon.com slash Press today. Well, everybody, uh, welcome um, this morning. Uh, I got to say, uh, a little bit of a, a slow start today, um, in part because I was just got off the. I just got off a call with uh, um, one of my oldest friends, uh, Stu, um, over there in Derry, over in North, Northern Ireland. Um, so we did a little chat this morning. So um, we've been trying to connect for a bit, but um, I'm a, a disaster when it comes to scheduling. Um, as I'm sure if he, if he's listening to the podcast today, he can confirm that I am a disaster when it comes to scheduling. But anyways, uh, we got a chance to kind of catch up and stuff. And, uh, 
you know, it's always that, you know, one of these little checks, you know, it's one thing when you're living through the kind of assaults that we're facing politically in this country. It's another thing uh, to have somebody who's, you know, who, you know, grew up in this country, um, but is, you know, spent 20 years. He lived, you know, he's lived in uh, Northern Ireland now for 20 years, uh, raised family there and all this other kind of stuff. And, you know, every time we talk, you know, some version is, you know, he'll say, yeah, I, this is, I, he's like, I just can't get over how this is not the country that I remember. Um, I remember conversations early on when, uh, when say, when Trump was really um, getting going, but even before that, but when Trump was really getting going, I remember having, you know, we'd have these discussions and I was, I would say things like, you know, hey, you don't understand, man. It's like, it's not the same. It's not different. And he's like, yeah, it's like, I just cannot believe it, you know? So we have those kind of, of course, you know, you catch up with family stuff and all that. So, um, so we got a little bit later start today. Um, and, uh, not to mention the fact that my shower was weirdly broken this morning. So trying to get that fixed. Um, so good, but I woke up really in a super positive, uh, <laughs> mode today in part because I was at a, fundraiser last night for the uh, school board candidates, uh, well, for an organization that's helping support the school board candidates um, and the Penridge Community Alliance and uh, we're that free will brewing. And just, I got to say, I, you know, I walked out of that last night feeling so much hope. Um, and and, and I'll, I'll talk about that hope just to kind of like in a couple layers, like just number one, the people who are running are just awesome. I mean, they're just good people who are invested in the school and their children's education. Um, several of them kind of were Penridge graduates, you know, who kind of, you know, went on and they, you know, went on, got, you know, got their careers or on their careers, moved back to the area um, in part because they remember having such a positive, you know, time growing up. And then to see, all those things that they cared about in the schools, right? All the things that see happening in the community. Oh, oh, sorry for all the flashing lights. Um, there's this weird thing just happened over here. Yeah, what else can go wrong today is what I got to say. <laughs> uh, but it's not going to change my mood. But anyways, but you know, they see the stuff, you know, what's happening in the district, what's happening in their schools, what's happening in the community. And they're like, wait a minute, I got I to gotta stand up. I, I, I cannot let this happen. And these are people who've been, you know, who've been outspoken at the uh, school board meetings. Um, um, and, uh, you know, they talked a little bit about their stories last night and people came out and helped support them. And so that's the one part. It's just like really good candidates, right? You know, um, um, hold on a second. Um, so anyways, yeah, the really great school board candidates, but then the second thing that was really encouraging is that there's, I, I don't know how to talk about this other than this, this is palpable sense, right? It's just visceral sense of organization coming together. You know, um, anybody who's worked in kind of any kind of social movement or organizations or things like this is knowing that the business of building a social movement, the, build, the business of building an organization takes a ton of time, right? I mean, it, it, it should be no surprise that, you know, the current power of the kind of the far right in this country um, was a 50-year project, 
right? Um, and it, they've been going at this for a long time, building institutions, building organizations, building a media network, all that kind of stuff, right? And stoking, you know, this kind of red meat, um, like on the ground, like building up the kind of extremist street fighters on the ground. So all that's been like a 40 or 50 year project. Um, it doesn't happen overnight, right? And right now, I mean, again, we can say, we can talk about why, why this is and all this stuff, but just, just as a fact of the matter is, is that the kind of assaults we're seeing on the school boards in our area and the assaults we're seeing um, on democracy, frankly, um, it, it's, it's taken a while to get effective organizations um, kind of up and going, right? Um, but I have to say, you know, in the grand scheme of things, historical perspective, it's like, you know, it's been pretty quick. And so to see these, you know, people emerge um, and take on these leadership roles, not just the candidates, right? I mean, the candidates are one thing, um, but those candidates, and they know it, they talked about this too, right? They, they see themselves as part of the community, right? And they know that, like, look, the, they're all, we're all in this together, <laughs> you know? We're all in this together, is they are kind of, you know, willing to stand up, but with the support of this community. Um, and it's, it's really phenomenal. Um, so anyways, that's, you know, the start of my day was, uh, where it makes it a, a pretty good one, I guess. Um, morning Ross. Yes. Ross was there. Uh, great evening. I agree. I agree. That was fantastic. Um, so let's get into a couple things this morning. Um, so there was this story, um, came across this morning. Uh, Amy connect also sent me a link to a story in NPR, but the, uh, one of the ones from, uh, CNBC kind of break, uh, breaks it down. Biden administration forgives $39 billion in student loan debt from more than 80, uh, 800,000 borrowers. Now, remember, this is on the heels of the Supreme Court striking down the uh, original plan, um, which, again, I could spend half, you know, the majority of the show just talking about how outrageous um, that decision was and for all the reasons. But what this is, this is good to see is the Biden administration not waiting you know, I mean, because there's been this pattern, um, less so in the Biden administration, although on certain things, this has been true, even with the student debt stuff has been actually one of the perfect example of this, where they say they want to study things, they're, they're looking at kind of different regions, they're talking about their lawyers, and they're just like all the stuff that happens. And to, to the rest of the world, you know, the, those of us that are kind of sitting out here, say, you know, who have student loan debt, those folks who are sitting there will go, hoping that something's going to uh, gonna happen for them, are looking and saying, what the hell are you doing? You know, what the hell are, are you doing? You're just talking, you promised on this campaign trail that you were going to cancel debt, you know, cancel student debt, right? And you said, you know, up to whatever, $10,000, whatever it was. Um, and okay, well, where is it? Well, we're still studying it. It's like, well, if you were running on this in a campaign, don't you think you would have studied this? Right? Anyways, so, and you know what that usually means is that there's those political machinations behind us. There, there's disagreement um, in the administration itself over whether or not um, it's a good idea to do this. And again, look, the Democratic Party is still dominated by those folks from the 1990s, right? Um, who all they were thinking about is the kind of the conservative, right? The conservative center, the conservative center, and worry that this is going to upset them. And really, there's like no basis for that because it's dramatically popular, right? Um, they, but because they, you know, these consultants, they live in Washington, D.C., they're framed in Washington, D.C., they're only thinking about what happens internally between the kind of party politic back and forth there, as opposed to thinking about what's happening in the country as a whole, right? So anyways, um, but so uh, 
my concern, I think the concern of a lot of folks was that, you know, after the Supreme Court shut down this uh, student loan stuff, that they would just basically, you know, the Biden administration would be like, oh, well, we're going to have to figure things out. And it was going to drag on into the middle of 2024. Uh, but this is a pretty quick turnaround, right? So let's take a look. The Biden administration, this is from CNBC, this is, uh, the Biden administration announced that it would automatically cancel education debt for 804,000 borrowers for a total of about $39 billion in relief. Debt cancellation is a result of the administration's fixes to repayment plans, which includes updated counts of borrowers' payments. Okay, so what does this all mean, right? Um, so, yes, it's true that that's what's going on. Let me see if I can get this other one up, <clears throat> right? Um, okay, let me get into details over here. Okay, let me go back to CNBC one. Um, <clears throat> so here's, here's how it goes. So the Biden, Biden administration announced Friday, I'm just going to read a little bit from here and we can talk about it. The Biden administration announced on Friday that it would automatically forgive $39 billion in student debt, as I said, for 804,000 borrowers. The relief is a result of fixes to student loan program. So under those repayment plans, right? So here's it. The relief is a result of fixes to the student loan system's income-driven repayment plans. And under those repayment plans, borrowers get the remaining debt canceled by the government after they have made payments for 20 years or 25 years, depending on when they borrowed, and their loan plan type. Now, here's the key. In the past, payments that should have moved a borrower closer to being debt-free were not accounted for, according to the Biden administration. And they say, quote, for far too long, borrowers fell through the cracks of a broken system that failed to keep accurate track of their progress toward forgiveness. U.S. Secretary of Education Miguel Cardona said in a statement, to bring people over the line of forgiveness, the Biden administration counted payments for borrowers who paused their payments in certain deferments or forbearance and those who made partial or late payments. Although the forgiveness is a huge victory for borrowers, it is, um, it is relief to which they were entitled, um, said Persis Yu, Deputy Executive, uh, Executive Director of the Student Borrower Protection Center. Quote, make no mistake, over 804,000 people are receiving relief with this action because 804,000 failures. Um, this is um, only the tip of the iceberg, you said in a statement. Working people have made have been made collateral damage by a dysfunctional student loan system. All right. So why I wanted to talk about that in that detail is because we should see what they're doing here, right? So instead of the Biden administration utilizing the authority it has under the Higher Education Act to just go in and cancel student loan debt. Technically, what they're doing here, they're not doing that, right? And why don't I even bring that up? Well, because in the Supreme Court decision over the Biden's original student loan forgiveness plan, they're basically saying that the administration doesn't have the authority. Um, a lot of people were pushing for the the administration to utilize the Higher Education Act initially in cancellation of student loan debt because it says explicitly in that act that they have the power to do so. But instead, they did it under the HEROES Act, right, which also gave them explicit permission to cancel this kind of debt, right? Um, but the Supreme Court disagreed with that, right? So now, if they will go back to the Higher Education Act, utilize the Higher Education Act to do this, which is like legitimately probably the most direct way to do this. And there's, my understanding is they're still planning on doing this, but there's a longer process that's involved with that. But what they did is they said, okay, we're not going to utilize this act. We're not going to kind of like claim new executive authority. 
all we're going to do is correct some errors, right? Because the banks and the, you know, the loan servicers or all this stuff were not accurately counting certain kinds of payments, right? They would only count payments that came in at a particular time or, um, you know, all this other stuff. So when they looked at this said, okay, let's just correct all this stuff and see what we got. And it turns out 804,000 borrowers are going to have $39 billion worth of, of debt relief, are going to have their loans canceled, right? Because they've already met criteria that's there, right? It's kind of a cool move if you think about it, right? Because what it does is it establishes a different beachhead, so to speak, right? It says that, no, we're, this is about good government, right? This is about going about and looking at this has been a mess, right? And mistakes have been, have been made um, by the government, and we're going to go and we're going to clean it up. We're going to clean up those mistakes, that, and these people should not have been paying um, any more money because they, they should have met the terms of um, these previously passed plans. It was, you know, 20, 20 years and 25 years. Once you've got to that point, you're done. So that's a cool move, right? I mean, yes, we could all, and again, we can, have the, we can have the discussion. Does it go far enough? No, right? Does it actually do what, you know, the original promises? No, this is not the original promise, right? That's still out there on the table. But nonetheless, this is real, right? Um, now, obviously, we have to wait now to see if there's going to be like court challenges to this, right? Um, this seems to be a much more difficult thing to challenge, however, since it's not issuing a new, what it's being kind of perceived as a new administrative authority. It's just fixing mistakes, right? Um, and it would be a weird case to bring to say that the government should not be allowed to fix mistakes that it made, right? But we shall see. I mean, again, show me, you know, how many times I, I, I've stopped saying, well, it would surprise me if the Supreme Court would take up. No, no, because clearly they've got their agenda they're going to run through. So um, there are, you know, enough right-wing think tanks and legal organizations out there that, were, that will muster some sort of argument here um, against this, I'm sure. But this is, this is good news. This is good news. Um, oh, so I mentioned this too about the climate stuff. I, I don't know why this is this. I just thought this was really cool. There's this, um, these scientists in Purdue, right, have created this is uh, this article. I uh, got this linked up in there. It's from the New York Times to, uh, to help cool a hot planet. The whitest of white coats is the title of it. But the science of Purdue created is white paint that, when applied, can reduce the surface temperature of a roof and cool um, beneath it. Um, this is kind of really pretty cool. So I'll read you a couple paragraphs of this. This is kind of neat, and I'm sorry that I'm going to, I'm going to butcher names here. Uh, uh, Lin Rao, a Rowan, a professor of mechanical engineering at Purdue University, didn't set out to make it into the Guinness Book of World's Records when he began trying to make a new type of paint. He had a loftier goal, to cool down buildings without torching the earth. Right There's your lofty goal. In 2020, Dr. Ruan and his team unveiled their creation, a type of white paint that can act as a reflector, bouncing 95% of the sun's rays away from the Earth's surface, up through the atmosphere and into deep space. A few months later, they announced that even more potent formula that increased sunlight reflection to 98%. The paint's properties are almost super heroic. It can make surfaces as much as 8 degrees Fahrenheit cooler than ambient air temperatures at midday and up to 19 degrees cooler at night. 
reducing temperatures inside buildings and decreasing air conditioning needs by as much as, get this, as much as 40%. It is cool to the touch even under blazing sun, um, Dr. Ron said. Unlike air conditioners, the paint doesn't need any energy energy to work and it doesn't warm the outside air. Now, the Guinness Book of World Records comes in because Guinness declared it the whitest paint ever and it's since uh, it's collected a bunch of awards for this. Um, but that's huge, right? That's absolutely huge. They're also coming up with, this is also interesting, a new, a, a lightweight version of the same kind of paint because apparently it's a fairly solid paint that could, um, you could use on vehicles to reflect heat from vehicles, right? <clears throat> it's just remarkable. It's just remarkable. So, you know, the, so I said, okay, and the, the details on it, the paint is at least a year from becoming ready for commercial use and his work is underway to increase its durability and dirt resistance. Dr. Wan said the Purdue team has partnered with a company but can't yet name it. The team is also developing colored paints that use the ultra white as a base. They will work less ideally than the white, but better than some of the other commercial colors, right? And as they say here, as a climate crisis worsens, scientists have been urgently working to develop reflective materials, including different types of coatings and film, blah, 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 it goes on. But this is actually really cool, right? So, I mean, they've done this. I remember reading about this years ago, like in Philadelphia and some other, um, uh, and some other cities around the country have begun doing some of this, right? But it's always, you know, because of the way that our politics work and the way that our lack of, I don't know, sense that we can do things together as a public, the way that it works, it's always, it's always kind of like scattershot, right? Um, you get this initiative here, you get this initiative here, it happens on a limited basis. But this is the kind of, these are kind of cool developments that are coming up that which can make a super impact. And, you know, it, it just got me thinking about, I brought this up on the show before, but, I look at what uh, Elizabeth Fiedler, she's got that solar for schools um, um, bill that you're kind of working to get passed, right? So if we've got, if we were to kind of utilize our school buildings, right? Because they're public assets, right? They're public, they're public areas that we actually have control over and input and we can make decisions collectively and democratically over on um, the use of this stuff that we could say, I've always thought like, well, these are tons of schools who have large flat roofs, right, with no trees overhanging them, they would seem to be these ideal places to put solar farms, right? Because, you know, and again, I'm, I'm sure it's there's not as simple as this, right? Because I'm sure that you, you need a certain kind of amount of space around, you know, certain areas of the school. So you probably can't do the entire, like, roof of every single building, but you could actually do, I think, a fairly significant part of that. So it would seem like it'd be great because not only... Not only does it is it utilize that space that's kind of like pretty open and free of blockages and get in the sun all day long, right? It's also not taking up land, right? So, you know, people complain, eyesores of a solar farm next to me, whatever. This is on top of a school building that's already there, right? And then you feed that back into um, kind of the public utilities, which then re reduces, you know, during the year, Right. Those solar panels, right, are going to generate energy for the school itself. But whether or not that alone would kind of meet all the school's energy, um, energy needs, I, I don't know. Um, but it would significantly reduce the, the cost of relying upon fossil fuel energy, for example, in order to kind of run the school and power it. Right. But then in the summertime, for example, or over breaks, when the energy drawdown from the school itself is very low, right, especially during the summer, this would just be generating free energy, 
right? So that was kind of the thing. It was always in my brain. Is like, why, why this makes so much sense? And so to see Elizabeth Fiedler, you know, basically try to get that process going here in Pennsylvania, right? To make it available across the entire state. So that would be kind of like thing if we had a sane school board, for example, here at Penridge or other places like throughout the uh, – maybe you already have a sane school board, right, if you're listening to this and not in kind of one of the areas that is dominated by Moms for Liberty and so on. But this would be kind of a cool project. You'd be start introducing at, for school boards and municipalities that, okay, let's put solar on school on our schools, right? Let's kind of like make this determination collectively and plan for it, and we can also have the impact. And the great thing about it is like not only does it have a tangible and immediate impact on kind of reducing carbon emissions, right, but it also has the long-term impact of reducing costs of energy, right? Great. Now you got this stuff, right? You got this paint. So let's say, for example, we get solar panels up on, uh, like up on roofs someplace, right? I started even thinking about my brain goes like this, but you, you, solar panels up there and things like that, and you have the rest of the roof is all this white paint. Right, that anything that is not being sucked into the solar panels to generate energy, right, is being reflected, right, back into space, right, and to helping to cool the building even more. So not only do you have you're generating energy, but the other kind of the sun hitting the other parts of the roof, right, that would normally heat the building, work against that energy generation, would now be reflected away and actually help to cool the building here. You get like double bang for your buck. That seems like that's exciting to me, right? And yes, is it, I mean, it's way too late in the game, right? You know, this is, I mean, we should be doing this like 10, 15, 20 years ago, but whatever, here we are. So this, I mean, this is something I imagine in my kind of like, whatever, a kind of excitable, hopeful self, right? If, you know, I'm thinking about our local school board, right? If we have this organization that's being built of community, right? And that's really highlighting, want to bring the community together and kind of want to work together in order to kind of have good schools and boot this extremism out of here. It's like, then you start thinking about, okay, what's the next project? Okay. If say we get these folks elected to the school board, let's say that you kind of like, we kind of like take over the majority of the school board, right? To win the majority of the school board, and not only can then you, you turn back the assaults that have been happening on the curriculum in the schools, but then you could start doing some exciting things and say, okay, what else can we do together? Right? How else can we have a positive impact upon our community, right? And the world, right? I mean, it's like, I don't know. That's kind of where my brain goes with this stuff, you know? I, so I, I just thought that was a cool thing. And it's like, it's a simple stuff, you know, these, these, these researchers, right? Right? And they, again, these are folks that have understood the problem for a long time, scientists that have been working on developing the, to do exactly this. And now, like, again, you cannot say the technology is not there. It's there. It's right there. These folks at Purdue, they've done it, right? You know, I mean, they may, they've been doing it. And now you've got this one. You've got this, the ability to do this. I mean, that's exciting to me. So uh, I'm sorry if you don't share my, my excitement, this, but I just see stuff like this and it's like, you know, it's, it, it's, you know, it's so important. It's just so important, right? You know, when I think about the flip side of this, because you look at what's happening, like, in the Southwest, right? You know, um, Phoenix is just baking, right? Um, Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico, Southern California, um, to Southern California to a little bit of a lesser degree, but they've been all been hit with this, like, you know, 100-degree-plus temperatures, 
right? I think it was Phoenix, right? Which had the, um, was approaching the, like here. So for example, is an article from where it's from PBS, right? Um, on Tuesday, Phoenix reached 110 degrees, right? Um, for the 12th consecutive day, according to the National Weather Service. Now this is, okay, now this was Tuesday, right? Yeah, this is reporting earlier in the week. Um, I should see what that is now, right? Um, the 12th consecutive day, according to the National Weather Service, the longest record stretch so far was 18 days in 1974. This high pressure needed to generate monsoon storms just isn't in the right position, according to state climatologist, um, Dr. Aaron Ann Saffel. So Metro Phoenix is left with below normal precipitation levels and dry conditions that facilitate hotter temperatures, right? There's been some of this, you know, reporting on, on, on Twitter and so on, that, you know, there's some great um, kind of climatologists and kind of meteorologists that kind of report on climate stuff. Um, they've been following this stuff, and you, you look at, you know, this is just unprecedented, the kind of heating, right? Hey, Amy, good morning. So that's all, you know, grits up. Like Las Vegas is going to be hitting, you know, like is when the 110s and 115s this week. I mean, it's pretty, pretty nuts. It's pretty nuts, right? I'm just curious how, uh, where we are. Yeah, here's like a warning that comes out here from this is the National Weather Service. Please do not underestimate the excessively hot temperatures coming up this weekend. Uh, some areas are likely to hit record high temperatures of in the 115 to the 120 degree range, right? This is from uh, this is from yesterday, right? Um, and you look at the maps, and it's just like the deepest, like purple area. Phoenix was hitting a hundred, and uh, is forecasting for a hundred and eighteen this weekend. Hundred and eighteen, right? I mean, Phoenix has that double problem, right? Uh, the double problem that is okay, not only is it. Um, uh, not only is it in kind of a desert and it's like hot to begin with, but it's like flat and paved, right? So it just soaks it up, right? If you go a little bit a little bit further to the um, to the to the to the west, I think this is over the California border, right? Parker um, is set to hit 120 degrees. Um, Blythe is set to hit uh, 120 degrees. Uh, Yuma, 115 degrees. El Centro, right on the border with Mexico there, uh, 117. Joshua Tree National Park, 113. Oh, I'm sorry, 103. Right? I mean, these are, this is this is crazy. You know, and, uh, I, you know, I, I, I hate to, you know, focus on the negative, but I mean, you know, I remember reading, you know, Kim Stanley Robinson's book um, on, the, on climate change, right? Um, <clears throat> um, what was his book? What was his book? Uh, not twenty one forty. I'm just spacing the name. I don't know. Let me see. Um, his book on. Um, let me pull it up here. Ministry of the Future. Yeah, his Ministry of the Future. Um, it it starts right. I don't want to do too many spoilers here, but the book starts um in India where the temperature has gotten so hot. Right, that it has exceeded the capacity of the human body to cool itself. Right, 
And you know, this is this is a you know he's a science fiction writer, but this is set in the near future. And the guy is you know, I mean he he does the science, right? I mean he learns about the stuff. And these are the things that are forecast to happen in our immediate future, right? Because you get to a certain part, and if say for example, if you um, if an area loses power and it's 130 degrees or 135 degrees, whatever it might be, or and then the um, there's this temperature thing. It's called like the wet bulb temperature. It's like like also a measure of humidity and stuff and stuff like this. When you reach a certain temperature, your body can't cool itself and literally cooks itself, right? I mean, it's 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 horrifying. And the book starts with this scene, right? Um, that kind of sets the stage for what gets people going, right? What kind of starts a whole series of events that we know we have to respond to this um, this stuff. Um, when you start talking about the temperatures of 120 degrees um, and a sustained level, I mean, it's the one hand, if you are going to um, be able to stay cool, but if an area loses power, like, you know, several of these areas have lost power because the, the, the transformers just can't take the heat. So they pop, right? Power goes out, lose air conditioning. And now you, what do you, what do you do? So yeah. Yeah. It's horrifying. So, I mean, so I look at, you know, stuff like that. The exciting part of it is like, you know, look, we actually have, if, you know, those positive moments when we're not just kind of fighting to kind of maintain some sense of, I don't know, decency in the world, democratic control of things, not kind of turn the world over to fascism um, in our school districts or, or in our communities, right, or our country. You can see the exciting possibilities if we just take a hold of it. And, yeah, we're going to, I mean, it's, we're playing catch up, huge, Right. Um, and we are beyond the point where we're going to be able to kind of say, stop climbing. No, it's already we're already there. The question is, is like, are we we're fighting now at this point for a livable future? Um, and you know, so little things like this can be good. And but it's it also points to the reason for my excitement about that is, you know, it also points back to when, when people organize and talk to each other. And even if, you know, around something like the school boards. Those, organi those, those organizations can be sustaining, right? If it's, you know, you, you're not, you think beyond just a particular issue or a particular political party or a particular election, saying, what can we do? What can this organization do to, to reclaim our communities, right? And so that we start doing things for each other, right? And the future and our kids and all that other stuff. You know, I, it always brings me back to, you know, the first interview that I ever did and long-time listeners will, will know this story, but uh, the first interview that I ever did in Raging Chicken was with Noam Chomsky. Um, he came to speak at Kutztown University, and I said, yeah, what the hell? We had just gotten off the ground. Um, uh, Raging Chicken had just started. And I'm like, yeah, what are the chances I get Noam Chomsky? Well, let's see. Let's check it out. And, well, we got him. We got like a 45-minute interview with the guy. And it was on, you know, in the wake of the Occupy movement. And so one of the questions I, was asked, I asked him was – you know, what, how do you look at this in terms of, of social movements? Um, what in terms of long-term impact? And in that discussion, he basically said, as they look, he said, so many social movements start with something very simple and very local, right? They can start from, and I'm going to forget the, 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 the name of the example he's referring to, but I remember the example. He said, it start like over a dangerous intersection, right? In a town, Right. Let's say, for example, a kid gets hit or someone who's an older person gets hit or anybody gets hit and say that it's a persistent problem in that community, this one dangerous intersection. 
And so people start showing up to you. They're kind of, you know, the city council or town council and say, we need to have this. And they start organizing the community around this issue of safety, start talking to each other. Right. And then kind of successfully are able to get a stoplight put at this intersection. Right. Um, and they see, as Chomsky put it, is like, you know, people need to see victories. They need to see the um, the fruit of their labor, as it were. Right. And that becomes absolutely, uh, you know, absolutely critical. And when they see the fruits of the labor that leads on, to, you know, it builds that kind of sense of we can do this. Right? And it's just a very human thing. Like the, 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 the easiest thing to do um, to stomp down any kind of change is to get people to believe that they have no power. Right? Um, that's, you know, that's what neoliberalism is all about, right? You know, when you think back to the um, uh, Margaret Thatcher's, like there is no alternative, right? Yes, you want a better world. Nope, this is all you get. This is it. We're at the end of history, right? Francis Fukuyama. Although that, I have to say, the Francis Fukuyama piece, the end of history is a little more complicated than it often has been deployed by the right, but, but nonetheless. Um, but that whole idea is that you, you tell people like there's nothing they can do, right? Where people are willing to throw up their hands in despair, right? Then, you know, the evil forces can win, right? But when people start saying, hey, wait a minute, we can actually do this. We're learning how like the, the wheels of the machine works and so on. Another story, just, just like in that same vein, is I remember when I was originally involved in our faculty union back in the early days of my time at Kutztown, like this was probably 2003, 2004, um, there was a group of, a group of us, right, um, of people at the university, and we got involved in our union. We were frustrated by the lack of any agenda about some, like, this idea that there's, you know, the administration has done these things. Ha ha, let's all laugh about it, but not do anything about it. And we started kind of saying, no, we can actually do things. So we did things like we read our bylaws and we learned that like, hey, this body that you were elected to, we're the ones who should be making the policy, not you people standing at the front of the room, right? Not the executive committee, the body, right? The representative council, we actually are in our bylaws as charged with the, the, the power of the body, the power of the union. And so the only thing that, that has changed is that somehow, somewhere along the way, the body, right, the representative council stopped exercising its power and ceded it to those, the, the kind of quote unquote leadership, right? <clears throat> so we went out, we kind of learned about the bylaws, we learned how things go, and we slowly started to kind of like locally started changing some things, right? In terms of how we did business about what was kind of foreline and what we should be addressing, right? And so slow process. And then I remember we, we also then, a bunch of us also got elected to our statewide body, right? So we were statewide representatives. We went into our legislative account, our legislative uh, assembly, which consisted of representatives from across the, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania from all the state system schools. And we saw a similar kind of dynamic there, at least in our eyes, right? So then we, we wanted to change that. And I'll never forget the first, the first time we had this kind of proposal. I don't even remember what the resolution was. It's like a freaking resolution, right? It wasn't even kind of like a major change at that point. But we wanted to kind of pass this stuff. We worked all day. We coordinated. We started to meet folks from other universities. Started coordinating. We got all on board together to do this. Went to bring up the proposal. And then one of the old timers, right, basically says, like, I move to table, uh, to table this motion. Someone seconded, and that's it. Because under Robert's Rules of Order, there's no debate on a, um, uh, on a move to table. 
right? And enough of the people we hadn't we hadn't done enough work getting a more people on board, right, to prevent that. And we didn't even know about it, frankly. So we learned our lesson, right? We learned that they shut us down because we didn't know the rules effectively. So we went and we learned the rules, right? So next time we came back, we knew how to stop that, right? We knew how we knew we needed to do more work of talking to more people, right? That we couldn't just rely upon a small group of people in order to do like little things like that, right? That's like the work of organizing, the work of organized organization building, right? The work is of caucus building. Um, and, you know, but it takes time, right? But this is the same kind of stuff that we're ha that's happening now, right? We're seeing this in our communities. We're seeing that kind of organizing that is working. And, you know, the sky's the limit. I mean, once, and this is, I think, what, you know, frankly, the right wing is afraid of, right? Once they realize, you know, once they are working to do everything they can to one, one, to disenfranchise people, one, uh, secondly, to uh, uh, create a sense of despair that there, nothing can be done. Um, and third is to kind of uh, limit access um, to the wheels of power, right? And to make these executive decisions. But right now, I'm sure there's a lot of folks that are really, really nervous because uh, they start seeing what's happening in uh uh, in these organize like in these organizing drives at local school boards, uh, and what the community is doing, and we're starting to recognize our own power, right? You know, that's that's fantastic because once we do that, man, it's pretty freaking awesome. Pretty freaking awesome. Listen, I'm gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the uh, um, the recent released um, audio clip from Jordan Adams uh, from the Moms for Liberty. Uh, maybe some other things in the beacon. There's a ton, ton of stuff we could talk about, but I think we should close out talking about that today. Um, because, uh, frankly, it was, uh, absolutely amazing. Right. So we'll take a quick break and we'll come back. We're going to talk a little bit about, um, the Jordan Adams at, uh, moms for Liberty. This is Kevin Mahoney, uh, creator and founder of raging chicken. We want to remind you, you can help support this podcast and all the work that we do heading over to patreon.com slash RC press. You become a patron today as an added bonus, you become a patron, right. Um, before kind of next week. Um, then you will kind of get that invite to kind of join us to talk a little about how to best deploy and utilize um, some of the PAC funds that we're kind of raising and how to make that even more impactful going forward. All right. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. We're going to be back right after this quick break, I think. There we go. <laughs> I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1912. That was the day that Woody Guthrie was born in Okama, Oklahoma. Guthrie became one of the most prolific songwriters to ever sing the stories of the working class. His most well-known song is This Land is Your Land, an anthem whose lyrics claim America for the common man. During the Great Depression, Guthrie traveled from Oklahoma to California with farmers driven off their land by the ravages of the Dust Bowl. He talked with them and learned their stories and songs. He spent the rest of his life singing the songs of those downtrodden. His guitar bore the message, this machine kills fascists. Guthrie believed in the power of music. His songs serve as a lasting impression for many musicians. From his own son, Arlo Guthrie, to Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, and many more. Even today, Guthrie's music asks powerful questions about how we as a nation treat workers. 
In his song, Deportees, Guthrie tells the story of migrant Mexican farm workers. His lyrics explain, We died in your hills, we died in your deserts, we died in your valleys and died in your plains. We died neath your trees, we died in your buses. Both sides of the river, we died just the same. He ends the song by asking, Is this the best way we can grow our big orchards? Is this the best way we can grow our good fruit? Like so many of Guthrie's songs, these questions remain unanswered. You won't have a name when you ride the big airplane. Oh, they will call you the deportees. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back. Sorry, a little longer break than I normally take. Uh, this is Kevin Mahoney, once again, uh, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. And uh, we're just going to close out today's show by uh, just kind of really focusing in on, one, what a, I don't know, what a gift the Bucks County Beacon has been to um, not just Bucks County, but uh, Pennsylvania and beyond. Um, the work that um, Cyril Michaleko and uh, the folks over at the Beacon are doing is just is invaluable. I mean, I, I would think I talked, like I said, I was at this fundraiser last night, um, talked to a bunch of people that couldn't say enough about the Beacon. I mean, say like, thank God for the Beacon. Thank God for the Beacon. Thank God for the Beacon. Uh, and Yeah, 100%. Um, if you want, there's so much, you know, initially before this audio dropped, um, from um, Jordan Adams. Before this audio dropped, um, I had a bunch of stuff. I said, let's focus in on this and this and this and what um, from, from the beacon. Um, but this is, you know, this is just so amazing that I spend the time with this. So um, as you know, um, <clears throat> that the beacon was doing some reporting already from, from the Moms for Liberty, right? They had a... Uh, um, kind of reporter kind of down there um, checking it all out, right? Um, we had, uh, they were banned from the, um, uh, <clears throat> they were banned from the, uh, uh, from the closed sessions. The media was locked out. Um, they were called uh, opposition media, right? You know, uh, all this fun stuff. Um, but, <clears throat> That's, uh, yeah, anyways, um, they're doing all that kind of stuff. But so there was reporting that kept on coming out, right, um, about the, um, about what was going on down in the Moms for Liberty Summit. Um, there were some reports that people were giving that um, about Jordan Adams' appearance. And one of the things that we talked about or, or Cyril talked about on the show the signal, uh, Bucks County, because um, the signal on Wednesday with um, Olivia Little, um, she was at there, right? She and one of her colleagues was in the session. And so she broke down some of the things that um, Jordan Adams had said, right? Um, about he basically released this plan of like the first hundred days of the new school board in office, what to do, how to do it, 
and how to take this, how to take a district over in a short period of time, right? And so, you know, that was <clears throat> that was something, <laughs> right? And you, you hear her talk about what was going on, and hear her talk about what happened was uh, just, you know, crazy, right? And one of the things that you know that Olivia Little said on that show was that. And, you know, she did great reporting on this, too. Go, go check out her stuff on Media Matters. I mean, her report coming out was just outstanding. They came out earlier on in the week, Media Matters, um, talking about the Moms for Liberty Conference. Um, and one of the things that kept on coming out, right, that kept on kind of uh, came out in Jordan Adams stuff is you want to throw as much stuff at people as possible so they can't keep up, right? That alone, right, that strategy. Remember, we talked about this um, uh, several weeks ago, Um there was that school district in Colorado, right, um, that had this rapid turnover in the board. And the, I think it was either the new, the new chair of the board or whatever it was, was interviewed. And uh, one of the things he talked about openly, he said, yeah, we're going to do what Trump did, right? Basically, Trump basically threw so much of things that nobody could keep up with what, go, what was going on. And then we were, he was able to push through these agendas. So that was in the consciousness. Of course, the question is, you know, to what degree uh, was that strategy um, kind of injected into that school district from by one of these kind of national organizations? Um, and and so, you know, as kind of like a top down thing. And to what degree is that strategy already embedded in the far right movement at this point where this is kind of the normal? That's unclear. Um but so when Jordan Adams basically gave a presentation, this is kind of what he was doing. And he was walking through what to do month by month, what happens in January, what happens in February, what happens in, in, in uh, March, and so on, right? Well, that comes out. Synth, uh, Olivia Little uh, publishes this. There's um, great reporting in the Beacon um, um, on, you know, on Moms for Liberty, um, we're seeing reports coming out from other news news media too as well. Um, great stuff. And then this happened, which I did not see coming. Um, this was the kind of thing when you know we're you know recording the episode for uh, uh, for the you know for the signal, right? <sighs> you know, it was like this was like nowhere even the kind of in the you know in the realm of 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 possibility, you know, that you would see something like this um, because they had shut, you know, they had shut media out. They were kind of like, you know, trying to be hush hush and close out about this. But um, in part, I think because of all the uh, reporting that the Beacon has been doing on, uh, on Moms for Liberty, uh, somebody um, who was at that session, right, um, somehow recorded the entire session and leaked it to um, Vermillion. Now it's unclear if you listen to the recording, it sounds like it's, you know, there's at the very beginning, there's some ruffling around stuff like that. It's unclear if this was, if this is recorded by, uh, you know, someone, you know, initially that this was supposed to be something for Jordan Adams, right. To keep, to kind of remember the session or whatever it might be or whatever, but nonetheless, they got the recording and not only did the beacon, almost immediately publish the recording, right? So you could hear it all yourself. They did a transcript of the recording, right? The transcript of the recording is absolutely incredible, right? The transcript of the recording is amazing, 
because that allows you to do things like search what he had to say and read it word for word, right? And not have to listen to his pitiful voice uh, throughout all of this, right? That's what's absolutely incredible. So one, I want to encourage you to go check that out, <laughs> right? One, again, I'll put a link in the show notes, right? Um, leaked audio. If you haven't seen it already, I'm going to drop this right now into uh, today's chat. Um, leaked audio of Vermillion Education had Jordan Adams' presentation of Moms for Liberty, right? That's the title of it. Go look at it, uh, the beacon. Um, and then look, think of the transcript. So just to give you an idea of what this was about, right? So I'm going to read you a little bit of the transcript here. Right. Um, this is the presentations, the first hundred days, getting flipped school boards to take action. So this is the idea is like, OK, look, you already got your your school board elected to get this new majority of kind of, you know, far right um, thing or kind of anti-democratic um, Christian nationalist folks elected to the school board. Right. What do you do then? Right. So this is the strategy to go forward. So. Um, so he says, okay, one, one point to lay out here is something for the first hundred days about these are the things that the board should be pursuing. And these are the things that you should be expecting them to pursue. These are the things that your candidates should agree to take action on when they get in there. You need to know these things, hold them accountable to it and make them commit to it. Then, like I said, what I'm bringing to the table here is the inside information. I'll tell you in a couple of the boards that this has come up with that they have a contract with me. I'll say more about it in a second. The right people are freaking out because the fox is in the head house. They've never had somebody in there in the details that knows what they are about. And I'm sitting across from a superintendent and we both know the game that's being played right now. We may be the only two that do. One thing I'll caution against though. Whoops, I'm sorry. I and he says something random. Uh, how long have I been doing that for? He did something other, right? So one thing that I'll caution against, though, is don't call me an expert. And he goes on to this thing about railing against ex experts, right? So it's a great thing. So when he says, I'm going to give you the inside information, what this 100-day plans is, from my reading of this, right, there's two ways, at least two ways, to read what he lays out in this presentation. The first one is that this was already the plan going in, right, that this was the plan going in that once he got um, uh, hired by the Penridge school board, um, to be this outside consultant that he had this plan. He was already communicating with the school board ahead of time. We already know, um, thanks to, um, Jordan Blomgren saying this publicly at the school board meetings that she began talking with Hillsdale college, right? Way back in the fall of 2022. Right. And then Jordan, and she was talking with Jordan Adams when he was still, um, part of Hillsdale. And then she contacted again, looking for him. Turns out he left Hillsdale to contact Vermillion, and so she continued that conversation. So what it's unclear at this point is like in those conversations with Jordan Blomgren and the Penridge School Board, to what degree did she, um, did Jordan Adams basically lay this 100-day plan out to them, her in particular, Jordan Blomgren in particular, about how to proceed, right? When did that exactly kind of happen? Did that happen when it was still, when it was, um, Hillsdale College, um, that plan was still kind of formed there, uh, or was this something that um, Jordan Adams started with Hillsdale? We don't know. But I will say that um, there's also an interesting move, because look, ultimately what the Vermilion education is about, it's about making money, right? 
I mean, these people, not only do they have a kind of a Christian nationalist fervor, right? And kind of like they're driven by, you know, dogma, right? To enact this stuff. They think they're doing God's work but doing this stuff, right? So you got true believers, right? You have deep faith in this. But as we know, right, the right wing in this country is also really good about being kind of like all in on the dogma, all in on the kind of ideological driven stuff, but finding every possible way to make bank, right? To run the grift, right? So the second way of looking at this is not so much that this was the plan that they had thought about ahead of time moving in, but this is basically a description of what they did in the Penridge School District. But he's presenting it to the Moms for Liberty folks right, as the agenda that they accomplished, right? So in other words, right, so if you hear how he's talking here, it's like he, he's talk, he knows he's talking to activists. He knows he's talking to Moms for Liberty activists here. And basically the assumptions are that, one, you, Moms for Liberty, are recruiting school board members or people to run for school board. But once they win, right, you need to stay on them, right, keep them accountable. You remember we talked about this with um, Mark Engler, right, when he was on the show a few weeks back, right? One of the things in that social movement, a social movement candidates, right, means that there has to be degrees of accountability between the movement and the candidates, right, that are that are not dependent upon traditional um, modes of um, support, right? And so the, this is like the right wing already knows this. They've been doing this already, right? So that's kind of who he's talking to. He's saying, like, this is, okay, your candidates, right? These are your candidates, and now how do you make sure they do the right thing, quote-unquote, the right, capital R, right thing they do when they get in there? Well, this is what you need to do, and here's the plan, right? And he's presenting himself, right? This is a new company for him, Vermillion, for-profit company going in, right? And he wants the business of Moms for Liberty, Right. He wants to make sure Moms for Liberty looks to Jordan Adams and Vermilion Education anytime they kind of get a new school board ready to go. Right. So he's presenting to them, say, hey, this is this is what we bring to you. This is what we offer. You get me in there. I've got a hundred hundred, you know, a hundred day plan for you. And I'm going to lay it out month for month. Right. And he can say to them, he doesn't say this explicitly here, um, he could say, like, when I went to Penridge School Board, I presented them with, here's the 100-day plan, and they followed it to a T, and look what they were able to do. He doesn't quite say that like that, right? For all we know, right, all he's doing here is he's describing what he did in the Penridge School District, what he did the Penrick School Board, and then writing it all down. Oh, what did we do in January? Well, we did this, we did this, we did this. I'm going to clean that up a little bit, and I'm going to say that this is our agenda, and this is our strategy, and this is our plan. Because ultimately, right, the Penridge School District is, the, you know, we, we are the lab rats for Vermilion Education's Christian Nationalist agenda, right? We are the lab rats. And so he's like the little guy charting all of what are the what happened after we kind of did this to the, that experiment? Oh, this is what happened. I'm going to chart it down. And I'm going to pretend that I knew what the hell I was doing, that I, I, I told them to do this ahead of time. Right. And look how successful it's been. It's like this self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. It's like it's like I, it's like, OK, I go out and I kind of fall down and I kind of fall down by this. You know, I fall down in this hole. 
right? And it turns out at the bottom of the hole, there's, there, there's a box full of gold coins, right? Right. And I say, oh, my God, I found these gold coins, right? But if I turn it around, I can pretend I knew what I was doing and say, well, okay, I took out my compass, <clears throat> right? And I decided I was going to head due west, right, um, through this thicket of the woods because I had a feeling that in that thicket of the woods back in kind of 1743, there was a group of kind of like bandits that ran through here. And so I was going in that direction because I knew it was the right direction. If you walk far enough in that direction that you're going to find this gold coin. Oh, and I fell into a, and I found the hole and I fell. I found the hole and crawled the bottom and there are the gold coins were. See, so with this new compass that I have, you can too can do this thing, you know, that kind of thing, right? Something that started out as kind of like haphazard accident, right? That ended up with a positive result from one, you know, for, for the, you know, bunch of gold coins. This is Vermilion education going on saying, oh, shit, now, okay, now we're part of a school board. Now we're part of a public school board. We've never done this before, right? We never had to do with these kind of particular dynamics. So we're going to take notes about what we're doing, and then we're going to turn around and we're going to pretend that this was our, um, that this is the agenda that we had all along, right? Now we know this was their agenda, right? But the systematic way in which he's presenting it seems to be a description of what he's doing and has done in the Penridge School District, Right? And it goes through like now day one. So just again, here's an example, right? There's a presentation. He gave out, a, apparently it gave out a whole packet of materials to everybody there documenting this stuff, right? And he says, now in January, and I understand some school boards take over in December and then also do your math, you, you know, um, uh, on the school board map here and figure out how to adjust this for your community. So he's basically assuming that new school board members for this presentation start in January, but you know, can you adjust it based on here? So in January, okay. So here are the things. One, and this is very important to enact, enact some sort of document preservation policy order, whatever it is. The reason I say this is because you can guarantee if somebody starts snooping around in there, things are going to start being deleted. And then you're going to come up with a big nothing burger and you can go and have, and you're going to have egg on your face. The board should go in at the very first meeting, say, we're establishing this policy that for these types of documents, you need to keep them. You may not delete them. Um, they stay where they are. Number two, and some of these will also involve discussion, um, that one's somewhat straightforward. Number two, start demanding info at the first board meeting and make it due at the second board meeting the next month. This includes things that, such as the percentage of students who are not proficient, even in a given grade or a subject based upon available tests. And if they're going um, um, to throw 22, 23 scores out, out at you or your school board, ask them for the 2019, as well as uh, because I guarantee you things were better um, but not that much better before the lockdowns, right? So basically what he's saying, right? So you're talking about these proficiency scores. So he wants to make sure you get the 2019 ones, but also the 2020 and 21s so that you can actually cite this, the stuff that you want. So first thing you say, okay, you go in, you could preserve this. Now what's interesting, right? And in, in states that have like, you know, um, public records laws, um, they already should be doing this, right? Um, but whatever, it says this. Also then says, go ahead and you want to get a list of every contract, right? That is invoices and free services that are provided to the district, right? You want all this kind of information that you're going to kind of gather to figure this stuff out. What's the third thing to say? Okay, you're all new board members. We'd like to access to the curricula, whether that's a physical copy of it, whether it's as many school districts, um, uh, whether what many school districts do is they have an online portal or some online database that has all this information on it. Please give us our own account. Set it up for us so that we can see the same things that the district staff are seeing. Authorize the board to explore bringing in somebody from the outside to look at what's going on, to look at the curriculum for transparency, quote unquote, 
Um, what is happening in our schools for curricula, what are students encountering every day for teacher training, how are teachers trained, contracts, who are we letting into our schools for our strategic plan, what does this reflect our goals and values of the parents and the community, and then for each one of these, is that appropriate, right? There we get all the kind of appropriate stuff. As he goes down this agenda, right, number six, and I think it's something we're overlooking, and I think that there's a really a huge opportunity here. Begin advertising your district and the teaching positions that might be coming up for next year. By January and February, a lot of schools are getting their intent to return forms from teachers about whether or not they're coming back next year. They're starting to piece together the sense of how many openings they may have. Start advertising. Start pointing out that your district isn't going to be doing X, Y, and Z. Start going to different colleges that you know have a good reputation. Contact their career services office to get an ad in their school paper. Advertise the values of your district that you brought there and what the board is implementing. This is important because all these changes won't mean anything if the personnel aren't on board with that as well. People's policy, right? So think about what just happened there. And if you first going in and getting access to all these contracts, why are they getting access to all the contracts and everything? Because they want to see which contracts they can are coming up, right? That are going to come up for renewal that they can cancel and hire their people instead, right? What are say curriculum supervisors, right? We saw this happen in Penridge. Like um, if there's an outside organization that is there and doing consulting work um, around curriculum, when is their when is their contract up? Well, if it's coming up right now, then we can just not renew that contract. And then we could put one of our people in there. This is about a wholesale plan of replacing personnel and resources and redirecting public funds to people who are on board with the ideological agenda of the um, of these, you know, Christian nationalists of Jordan, of you know, Jordan Adams, Vermilion Education, Hillsdale College, you know, keep on naming them down the road. Moms for Liberty, right? That's great. When you start getting, to, by the time he gets to this number six, now he's talking about, okay, now you know that there are these markers, right? There's intent to return forms that teachers return, yes, I'm coming back next year, right? This is kind of like a routine thing that happens in many, uh, um, in many teaching jobs, right? And when it starts to come in, they're going to have a well, sense idea of how many openings are coming up. And usually what happens is that there's an established procedure, right? You know, that the school district, you have an opening that comes up, that you have a, a, a relatively generic ad, then you fill in some of the details for, you know, what the specific position is, and you post it in these places that they're normally posted, right? They want to stop that. They don't want that machine to keep on rolling, right? Instead of saying, okay, we're just going to go through these established procedures. No, what we're going to do is now we are going to find ways of, using those job ads to get the kind of teachers and staff into the district that we want. This is in Penridge right now. This is absolutely critical. Why? Well, we've lost several dozen teachers who have some of them just retiring. Others of them are leaving for one better pay or two to get the hell out of the craziness because they just don't want to be having to deal with this all the time. They spent years working on a curriculum and then they just they watch it kind of get stripped away, right? All their labor gone, right? They can't stand being in a district that is attacking LGBTQ students, right? I mean, you name the reasons, right? The variety of reasons are out there, but they're all these. So now they're going to have to hire new teachers for the fall. This guy was already on this months ago, already saying we're going to redirect ads and we're going to go say we're going to go to colleges of our choice. Guess where? 
Yep. You can guarantee that this guy is going to right-wing colleges, Liberty universities, probably going to Hillsdale colleges, probably going to departments of education that have conservative faculty and them ask him to circulate around. All that kind of thing is being orchestrated. Right? I mean, it's one thing to, to assume that this is going on. It's another thing to have the guy who was hired by the district laid it out in plain view. Black and white, as it were. About that, yes, we are doing this. And we want to encourage you to do this to your school district too. If you remember, one of the things, I had this discussion, I can't remember if I had this discussion on the air, if this is a discussion I had with just with, with somebody about this. But we saw the superintendent of the uh, Penridge School Board, uh, school district, sorry, uh, Superintendent um, Bolton, Dr. Bolton is leaving, right? He went on medical leave. He was supposed to be at the end of January, announced that it was going to be extended into October, and then he was going to terminate his contract, right? So that is now giving the school board several months to get prepared to hire a, a new superintendent. And I said at the time in this conversation, either I, I can't remember, like I said, I don't know if I had it on air or not, but this is like a perfect setup for them. Right. For by them, I'm talking about, you know, the, the kind of red wizards of Thay who are kind of controlling the school board right now. We're talking Megan Bannis, Clements, talking Jordan Blomgren, Ricky, Ricky Chaikin, right? That crew. Right. And they're two, they're two like male lapdogs that are on the board too. Right. The, they're in a position now to basically say they can be quote unquote transparent about their hiring process. Right. So they can put together an ad, and I mentioned this like last week that they put on, um, or earlier in the week, they put an ad or a survey out. Parents, what are your priorities? And so I like this. So they are demonstrating, right? They're going through the motions of appearing to be transparent and wanting to have community input, right? So that's the official actions of the board because they are publicly elected, right? They are elected by us and they are kind of bound by certain degrees of, of, of public laws. Jordan Adams, however, is a private entity, right? And I guarantee you, as soon as Bolton um, decided he was going to get out of here, what Jordan Adams can do is say, there is going to be an opening at this school district where I am the consultant. We are rewriting the curriculum. We need people like you. I would encourage you to apply, right? And that goes through their networks. All that happens outside of public view. So then the candidates who come forward, right? And again, this doesn't mean all the candidates, but the candidates who are encouraged to apply to apply for that are already ideologically leaning in that direction, right? Now the goal, again, if I, if I were to put on my kind of like evil, like, you know, like conspiratorial thing, if I was on like Vermillion education, right? What I would want, and I would tell the board that I would want, in order to kind of really change this into a Christian nationalist, like a uh, uh, school board or, or school, right? Um, all with public funds and under like the auspices of public schooling. What I would do is I would go and I would say, hey, you know what? We want to make sure that we have at least three to five good candidates that agree with our ideological position, Right. Because what we want to demonstrate to the public, right, is that we're interviewing multiple candidates and say, sure, we should get some of those candidates. We should get some of those candidates who are, who are not on board with us, right, just so that they're in the mix, right? 
But then you have this, you know, your interview process and all that kind of stuff. And you weed it down to like maybe two or three candidates, right? They're your finalists, right? And those two or three candidates basically are on board with your agenda. Now what you want to do from your Red Wizards of Thay, right? Mind frame. What you want to do at that point is you want to say which one is going to be the most aggressive in getting your agenda passed. And so now you're putting these three people, two people, whatever, in competition with each other over who's going to be more vigorously enact your agenda. And all the public sees is like, okay, it's just a hiring process. Right? That's the value of this transcript that the Bucks County Beacon published. That kind of thing. So instead of us having to second guess ourselves to say, well, you know, is this too far? Is this actually like, am I just kind of like overthinking this? Am I thinking like too conspiratorial or whatever? Like, no, it's right there. It's their plan. Literally their plan. Here's another one. Now, that was all in January, by the way. So February, right? Here's this February one. Get moving. Start enacting Introducing policies, I call these no-brainer policies. A lot of these are being laid out by groups like uh, increasing state affiliates and other model policies. So state affiliates, you're talking about everything from um, um, like the Koch brothers networks, right? From these, you know, a, a, a whole range of right-wing think tanks. He, may, he gives a shout out to the Heritage Foundation here about putting together these policies, right? Model policies that the school board members, newly elected school board members don't even need to think about because it's already ready-made. We've seen this with the Leadership Institute, right? That right-wing law firm that has been involved in Central Buck School District and, and Penrith School District and a bunch of districts across the, across the country or across the, across the, the Commonwealth and country but across the Commonwealth, right? We had Chris Ullery on the show, right? Um, talking about this and talk about their reporting, what they've been founding, right? So those policies are ready-made and being introduced by these right-wing organizations, right? So here, start introducing policies on, you know, these are the no-brainer policies. Start introducing policies on CRT, eliminating DEI offices, renew, re, renewing contracts and initiatives, eliminating student surveys, Right? everything that they've done in the Penridge School Board. And he, then he says, look, when I went to school, we didn't do surveys ever, ever. In fact, there is so much that's going on in our schools right now that is novel within the last five to 10 years. We were doing fine before that. Maybe there were ways to improve, but we're not going in the right direction here. Just get rid of surveys. There's no reason for any of that at all, at all, he says. What kind of surveys? Surveys like, do you feel threatened at school? Have you experienced bullying? Do you feel safe? That are asking questions about the climate of the school. Because what happens in that kind of data? Well, in that kind of data, in those kind of surveys, you find out that LGBTQ students are being bullied and assaulted and discriminated against. You find out that black students and students of color are coming in and being discriminated against that they're not feeling safe. They're being excluded from that community. When you ask students, you ask teachers about what the experience is like, no, 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 we don't want that information. We do not want any data that will contradict what our agenda is going to be. Because if you take away that information, you take away that data, right? You kind of like destroy a foothold that the other side will have in terms of pushing back. And they did that. 
and they did that. It's 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 really it's really crazy. Here's another one. All right. This is I, I'm only going through and doing this because I want you to go see this stuff. I want you to go read this article, the Bucks County Beacon. I want you to or listen to the the audio of Jordan Adams. Um, I, I'll just warn you ahead of time. He's not exactly the most compelling individual, um, so it's a little boring, but that's OK. Right. But it, it's good to hear it um, firsthand, too. You'll like this one. So get into the library and look at all their purchase orders or donations. They have to catalog all this stuff. Review the catalog and all books added within the last five years here. And don't forget about the donated ones. It's not just the ones that are purchased, but the ones that are donated as well. Come up with a book objection process. And I know that some states are putting this in place. I'm going to go a little bit against the grain on some of this. I don't think you need to form an additional committee on this if you're a good school board. You'll already, you're already the representatives of the people in the community. You can make a judgment about whether or not this book, it, it should be there or not. You're in a spot where you're not controlling. If you're in a spot where you're not controlling the school board, then it goes on for that. Right? Just what they did at Penridge. And you recall, multiple individuals at the school board meetings went up and kind of raised objections right, to what they're doing and saying that you are taking control of the problem. They're like, no, the school board's not making a decision. This was true in Central Bucks, right? Central Bucks said this all of the time. No, the school board's not making this decision, right? This, we got a process that we go through here. Right, behind the scenes are doing this. They did this at Penridge, right? Initially, they said, oh, there's a process we're going to go through. But at that last meeting, right, we put up all those, we put up all those freaking videos, right? Clips out of that, that meeting where Jordan Blomgren, when she went on her kind of like, I'm going to read sexually explicit things here for my own gratification, right? I'm going to read this, all this whole thing out of this book, right? She basically said, okay, no, she was talking about a book that went through the process and was deemed okay to remain in the library based upon the rules that were already set there. But Jordan Blomgren said no. She said, I disagree with that, and they need to be held accountable. <laughs> so she's going to take it over, and the school board itself was then inserted there so that they could make decisions. This is about a centralization of power. Everything that Jordan Adams talks about in this piece is about centralization of power in the hands of the Moms for Liberty backed people or associated organizations. Right? Should I get one more? There's one that happens down further. Let me see. Let me see if I can find this. Oh, here you go. This is the one I wanted. Okay, so he talked about the first thing and second thing. Talks about the administration and so on. So it's not going to make entire sense. We're going to talk about the second thing, but this this is important. The second thing to keep in mind is to not let anybody off the hook. I'm going to. I'm going to. That back page on this handout that he's got. That back page talks about the ways in which folks try to get off the hook. Keep getting these reports. Keep asking for information. Keep having them shared. Ask questions about all everything that's in there. 
Some people self-select out of certain things because sometimes they're like, yes, I can't work for this board. I don't really want to do this anymore. Then that's fine. So in other words, keep up the pressure on other members of the boards where they could find this untenable to continue working for that board anymore so that they'll just quit or they don't want to be on it because they can't, they cannot handle the insanity, right? Push them out. In, use the informal mechanisms to push them out. Then he says, anyways, this is the important part. The third one is to remember that your attorney, that is the district's attorney, is not usually an ally. The one thing that board members are scared to death of is having a lawsuit on their hands, especially one that has big dollar amounts tied to it or is threatening to be tied to it. Attorneys, by their nature, are risk-averse generally. They are not going to push the envelope on something that they are taking a risk on. Then a lot of them are also not on the side of the board. I know there are a number of state organizations that are trying to figure out ways to get counsel to school boards that are giving a second opinion, as it were. Just keep this in mind and make sure that your board members have this in mind as they um, as well. Be proactive with your PR and social media. This is one of the things I'm realizing quite a bit with boards is that there's not a whole lot of. They're not getting the message out. They might be out there in the meetings talking about this, but they need to have some account or their own account to get it out there. That doesn't mean play whack-a-mole and address everything in there because that'll drive them nuts. That's not good. To have an alternative viewpoint or an alternative point coming out that they can reflect on and other people know, oh, they have an answer for this. They have an answer to something they pointed out and worked against, right? The key thing there is that you've got organization, like that you're, they're actually saying you need to go around your district's lawyer, right? Because they're, you know, people are afraid of lawsuits. Of course they're afraid of lawsuits, especially if they're doing things that violate the law. That is the role of places like the Leadership Institute, right? These right-wing legal think tanks, right, that are coming into providing free legal advice as a second opinion. It's the very language that we've been seeing, right, in all these districts, right? And we've been seeing this over in, in Central Bucks, right, extensively. We've seen this here in Penridge, right? There was also a similar issue that was going down in kind of Souderton, right? So... We got this. So, okay, I'm going to stop now because I could just, I could do this all day, but I, I can't. Um, so here's what I think we should do, right? I think that this makes a whole lot of sense that wherever you are, whatever school board that you're kind of involved with organizing or so on, whatever community that you're part of, because look, they're going after public libraries too as well. This is not just school boards, right? They're going to be going after the municipalities too as well. They're going to use the same kind of playbook, right? This is the perfect opportunity to break this stuff out, right, and to put together like a basically a a playbook so that we can see what they're what's coming, right? What's going on? That's something I'm going to be working out working on certainly. I know there's a lot of other people that are going to be working on breaking this stuff down, but this is the kind of thing that we can work on collectively, right? These are the kind of things that we can have like meetings and, and say reading groups about. Let's go look. Let's look at this stuff. Let's break this down and let's kind of like let's think about how we respond to each one of these things. Right. Because, look, Jordan Adams is a hack. Jordan Adams is a grifter. Jordan Adams is just a tool of this kind of right wing educational facility. Right. And yes, I don't mean to just say he's a tool because that kind of like takes away his agency. No, he is part of that grifting, ideologically driven Christian nationalist agenda. Right. He's an adult. He makes his own decisions. No, somebody's not using him. He is using himself to do this and making bank on it. So what we need to do is say, here's an opportunity. Rarely do we get this kind of opportunity to see these kind of documents, to see like the, someone talk so directly about the playbook 
and start thinking about not just this particular, how to push back now, but how do we strategize moving forward, knowing this is coming. Penridge, unfortunately, we're already, we, we have to, we have to put our defenses on and push back hard against this guy in particular, right? You might be listening in your school district, know that this is coming too. The more that we start sharing information with each other, the better is more from my, pers- my perspective. But anyways, so kudos once again to the Bucks County Beacon. Um, just, just phenomenal, right? Um, just absolutely phenomenal work. And I'll put out, look, right now, you want to see more of this stuff? Well, you know what you can do? You can go right on to buckscountybeacon.com. You click on support the beacon, and you can contribute to them, and you become a kind of continuing contributor um, um, to support the work and support the journalism that's coming out of there, which is really, really what we need. And I know, you know, there's a lot of uh, thing. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I should have given her a shout out before. Pat LaMarche. I'm sorry. Pat LaMarche is the, um, the Bucks County Beacon reporter that was down there in um, – uh, for Moms for Liberty. I don't know why I didn't mention her name before. I just realized when I was looking at her article, I'm like, oh, crap, I didn't mention Pat's name. Uh, but Pat Lamarche did great work while she was down there doing that. So, right, um, it might seem a little weird, you know, uh, for, you know, for some folks who normally work in this space to sit there for me to sort of promote, like, you know, the Bucks County Beacon, another kind of media outlet, and saying, hey, go out and support them too as well. At the same time, I'm telling you, say, hey, look, uh, go to patreon.com slash rcpress to help support this work. Right. Look, in a perfect world, right, not even a perfect world, in a world that we have the ability to create, there's a future, right, in which we start to coordinate kind of like as a kind of a a media network or something where we're able to kind of provide a a central location to kind of support these kind of different plans we got on. Unfortunately, that doesn't exist right now. Right. That's something we have to create kind of step forward. So. The idea is that we need to support everybody, right? I know it sucks, right? It's like, oh my God, what are they? But this is really, really what it is. I'll sit there and I will kind of say, when there's this good workout, I will shout them out because I want other people to go there. I want other people to support them. I want other people to read this stuff, right? Not just because it's with the Bucks County Beacon, but because the information there is actually critical to the, you know, to the the, the health of our communities. That's it. So anyways, I'm going to cut it at that point, right? This is Kevin Mahoney, uh, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. Um, I am going to uh, cut this out for today, and uh, I'm going to wish you all the best. Hope you have an awesome weekend, and, um, you know, I look forward to the days ahead. Um, strongly encourage what's happening in our communities. Um, awesome work on the fight back, everybody. Um, love you all. Thank you for support. Again, head on to patreon.com rcpress, and you can help support the work that we do here at Raging Chicken. And uh, all the people out there in the community, man, rock. Um, Talk to you soon. Right, everybody? You know this part, right? You know this part? This is the part that I go, hey there. See ya! I'll fly away now